Hey y'all, welcome to Summit. My name is John Elmore, and I serve as the men's director of recovery at a ministry called Regeneration here at Watermark. It's 6.30 every Monday for every struggle. Everybody's welcome, uh, even if you're not a part of this church and you're a guest with us. So today we're going to be walking through Ecclesiastes 7, 15 through 29, the last portion of chapter 7. I'll be with you this week and next week. And so I want to tell you about three different stages of my life. Really, all of my life can be summed up in these three stages. I'm going to tell you about two of them at the beginning and then one at the end to close us out. But the first two stages of my life, really, I heard as a nine-year-old that Jesus died for my sins and that if I trusted in him, if I believed in him, that I wouldn't go to hell. And as a nine-year-old, I'm like, well, that, that sounds like a great deal. Hell sounds horrible. And so I'll trust in Jesus. And what I believed after leaving that summer camp and going back home was like, well, now I, I can't do anything wrong. I have, to, I have to do what Jesus says to do or else, you know, his gift to me was for nothing. And so I just have to follow him. I have to, I have to do what he says to do. And I became this rule follower. I wasn't walking with him. I didn't have like a relationship with him. It was just rules to me. And what I became was a little Pharisee because I was doing it on my own strength And I thought I was pleasing God by doing good. This little do-gooder and hall monitor and and Pharisee. And there's nothing worse than a teenage Pharisee uh, walking around a high school thinking he's reaching others for Christ, but really just like a, a hall monitor pointing out other people's wrongs and how good I was by comparing myself to them. Um, that, that's horrible. But what's worse than that is after, from like 9 to 18, is that Pharisee, I then became a fool. Because after following those rules, I looked around, I'm like, you know what? There's people having a lot more fun than I am. Drinking, smoking, women, chasing after everything the world has to offer. And, and I was told as a kid, you know, sin leads to death. But I saw these people, my friends, some in college and whatnot, and I'm like, it's not leading to death. In fact, they're having more fun than I am. It actually looks like a better life. And so I punted the rules. and was like, I'm, I'm going all in with that. Because I've tried that, and it's a whip and a beating, and it's impossible. I keep failing. And so now I'm just going to choose foolishness and even wickedness. And I just went my own, my own way and thus, you know, landed in a ministry for recovering addicts. Uh, that if you want a career path, you just choose after foolishness, and that's how you'll end up in recovery. But became an alcoholic and an addict of various things, chasing after, I mean, it was, it was porn and women and money and status and uh, just foolishness, ultimately drugs and pills and, and all that mess, and lived that foolish life until I was 30. And I can tell you today, if you're wondering, like, well, which one's better? They're, they're both terrible, and you don't need to try either of them. Wait and listen for the third one at the end. But What we're going to be talking about today, specifically in this passage in Ecclesiastes, is um, Solomon lays out just that. There's a Pharisee and a fool, and then there's this thing that our flesh craves that is worse than death, and then thirdly, there are these fleeting things that our hearts are just drawn to. And he says all of those three things, the Pharisee and the fool, the flesh and what our flesh is given to, and these fleeting things of the world that we're pulled towards, all of them are a huge problem. 
And there's an answer for each one of those that we're going to see in these scriptures. And so, without even knowing the, the, you know, 700 men that are gathered here today personally, I know many of you, but I can say that every single one of us in this room are going to be able to relate to what Solomon says because it is the problem of the depravity of man that is just within all of us and our own sinful nature. We swing between Phariseeism, I don't even know if that's a word, between Pharisaical living and foolish living with some wickedness in the middle, and our flesh has this daily pull, and then then Dallas itself is just screaming with these fleeting pleasures. So, Let's go through that now. We're going to walk through this uh, line by line, and we're going to hit 7 o'clock, Lord willing. Pray for me. So the first slide, uh, the answer is, is fear God. The problem is uh, you're either going to be a Pharisee or a fool. And so let's read here in verse 15. In my vain life, I've seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Uh, this, is, this is the problem with people who believe the prosperity gospel, which is a load of crap, and it's being promoted here and all across the world, is that if you follow God, you will get health, wealth, prosperity, no evil will befall you, no sickness will claim you. It's, it's this horrible thing of Mercedes and mansions as you follow Messiah, and it is a lie from hell. And that's what Solomon's saying right here is like, wait, the righteous perish in their righteousness and the wicked prolong their life. How can that be? Now we have the New Testament, which says our expectation as a believer, if you're a Christ follower, is suffering, trials, persecution, tribulation, affliction, and God is going to use those things to bring himself glory as people see us, not in prosperity, but in persecution and otherwise, and say, how can you still have joy and peace As you are in this trial, why are you not cursing God, but yet you're following him more, even when he's allowing this? So, praise God, we follow Jesus and not this prosperity gospel uh, that is is not biblical. In verse 16 through 20, be not overly righteous, this would be the Pharisee, and do not make yourself too wise. Now that, as uh, Tommy says in his book, is not like, be stupid for life, and, and you know, don't learn anything new. Um, he said, he's talking about self-righteousness, being overly wise, wise in your own eyes. Why should you destroy yourself? Also, on the other side of the pendulum, do not be overly wicked, and there's a third category, neither be a fool. So you've got Pharisee, wickedness, and foolishness. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and that And from that, withhold not from your hand. For the one who fears God, here's the answer, the one who fears God shall come out from them both, Pharisee and foolishness. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than 10 rulers of a city. And then right here, Romans 3.23, embedded in Ecclesiastes, surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. So let's break that down a little. He says, don't be overly wise, overly righteous. That's the Pharisee who says he can do no wrong. I, I... I preached a sermon on grace a couple of weeks ago about the forgiveness of sins and how Jesus washes us from our sins. And I said, hey, and I need that daily. And this guy and his wife came up to me after the service and she was weeping, weeping. And I was like, uh, I mean, I thought it was like horrible marriage problem. And I was like, can we talk? And he's like, yeah, we need to talk. I'm like, okay. And he said, I'm so sad. And I said, and, and your wife's upset too. And he's like, she's she's tormented. And I was like, okay, here we go. And 
uh, well, how can I help? And he said, we are so hurt that you as a pastor would say that you sin and need to be forgiven. I was like, wow. Um, I'd like to invite you to summit on Thursday the 1st because there is not anyone righteous who does not sin. I said, so let me understand, you're, you're hurt that I would say that I have sinned and, and sin and need to be forgiven? He's like, yes. I said, let me ask you something real quick. Do you sin? He's like, I have in the past. It's possible that I might in the future, but I do not in the present. I was like, man, would I hate to be married to you. Not only because you're a dude, but because you're a self-righteous, you're a self-righteous, pharisaical dude. And even though it's legal now, I would not want to be married to you. I couldn't believe it. And I was like, is that why your wife's crying? Because you say you never sin? Like, you're, can you imagine? But yet in marriage, or in parenting, or in our uh, employment, that's kind of how we act. I mean, I got in a fight with my wife for like the last two days. We've just been quarreling. And it would have been much easier if I just would have said, you know, you're right. I blew it at this time. You know, I was talking to John about it yesterday. But instead, I dig my heels in. And I'm like, no, no, no. Not only am I gonna, not going to address what I did wrong, I'm going to tell you everything you did wrong and be a Pharisee, which is horrible. We do it to our kids. We do it to our spouse. We do it to our coworkers, the guys in our community group. And, and, and Solomon says, you will destroy yourself if you're like that. But then there's also the foolish swing. And so you swing to that side. And Solomon, the guy who also wrote the Proverbs, in, in uh, Proverbs 18.2, he says, a fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. So the fool is different from the wicked. The wicked is someone who is just hell-bent on sin. And they're like, I don't care what God says. I love porn and I'm gonna give myself over to it or to prostitutes or pills or whatever your flavor may be. I don't care, God. I love my sin more than I love you and just rejects God. That's wickedness. And I lived that life. That's 18 to 30 for me, along with foolishness. Foolishness is, is what he says in Proverbs 18 too, where it's like, I don't care what any, anyone thinks. I don't even know what they think. I take no value in understanding. All I care is valuing my own opinion which is kind of like being a Pharisee where you're just like, but it's foolishness in that you have no understanding. The Pharisee at least seeks to understand all intelligence so that he can trump card everyone. The fool is just like, I don't want any understanding. I'm just gonna run my own offense. I don't care what my community group says, my spouse says, or even what God says. I'm running my own offense to my own self-harm And uh, man, it's a dangerous place to be. Solomon says those are two terrible swings of the pendulum. And he says the answer is, is what's on the screen there, is to fear God. That's the beginning of wisdom, is fearing God, to stay near to him. So if we continue on in this passage, in in, uh, verse 21 and 22, there's something that has been pivotal in my life. It says, do not take heart to all the things that people say. I mean, that right there, a memory verse for me who struggles with people-pleasing and fear of man. Uh, It's been crippling to me in the past, caring what other people think about me. And if they say something, you know, it can just like crush me. Do not take to heart all the things that people say. Lest you hear your servant cursing you, you know in your heart many times that you yourself have cursed others. If this is a struggle of yours or someone that you know, Tim Keller wrote a book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. 
It's 50 pages in large print. It's a toilet book. You know, you like sit there and knock it out. One guy knew what I was talking about. Uh, and this book is all based on the scripture in 1 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. And it says this, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any other human court. I myself do not judge me. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. The Lord is my judge. And he's saying audience of one, which is something my boss, Nate Graybill, always says. Audience of one, John. Chaplain Bill, when I was in seminary at DTS, he, said, he walked up to me, grabbed me by the shirt, just out of the blue. I wasn't speaking or doing anything, but I'll never forget it. And he said, John, never read your newspaper clippings. Never, never read your headlines. Not the good ones, not the bad ones. Because if you start to believe the good ones and everybody pats you on the back, hey, great job, awesome sales quota this month, killing it, uh, whatever it is, you're just hearing all those things, you start to think and get value in that, that you got to bat a thousand all day, every day, and you become a performer or kind of that Pharisee. And then the opposite way, if you listen too much to the discouraging voices or the critical voices, and hey, there's things to learn from people. I mean, if people say, you've got spinach in your teeth, don't be like, audience of one, I don't listen to you. Like, go to the bathroom and get it out, your breast stinks, whatever it is. But you don't let it crush you because you know that you are approved by God through Jesus Christ who you have trusted. And in him you are made complete. Not by the accolades of man or the criticisms of man. And so audience of one, don't take heart to the things all that people say. I've got seven minutes for the rest of this. This is going to be a challenge. So uh, verse 23 through 25. This is uh, on the second slide here. The problem is, is the flesh. The answer is, please God. So the problem, the flesh. Solomon's going to say that there is something worse than death. Let's read it. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far off from me. That which has been far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? He basically says, ultimate wisdom is ultimately unattainable. And then in verse 25, I turn my heart to know and seek out, search out, seek wisdom and the scheme of things to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness of, of madness. He says, I tried to search out the depths of wisdom and I tried to search out the depths of folly. He's like, wisdom's unattainable. I couldn't find it all. And then folly, I did find the end of that rope and it's the worst of them all and it's worse than death and it's a woman or I would say sexual sin. You know, for Solomon, it was a woman. But, you know, others struggle with same-sex reactions, and so in this room, that could be someone who struggles with that. It could be a man. It's, the, it's your sexual pull of the flesh. And Solomon says, that is worse than death. You're like, what's worse than death? Like, is it, is it, is it uh, being tortured? Is it cancer? He says, it's your sexual sin. That, if you give yourself over to that, it's worse than death. And he equates it to these handcuffs, golden handcuffs that we, you know, we talk about with uh, you know, a position where you're getting paid so much even though you hate it. It's verse 26a. It says, And I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He says the woman's hands are fetters. Now Solomon's stronger than a woman. I mean, he can break free. But the picture here is that golden handcuff that you don't want them to let go. It's this death by the object of affection that you love. It's like a fly stuck in honey, slowly dying in that which it loves. 
And men, I'll tell you, all of us, all of us, whether you're in an affair right now or you're thinking about it, and you may say, I'm not in an affair. And I'll ask you, are you, are you looking at pornography? Do you have uh, an unhealthy attraction toward a coworker, and you spend more time talking to them than you should, crossing over into personal boundaries, things that you're looking on on your phone, on TV, images from the past that you go back to with masturbation? And I don't, I don't know what it is, and I don't, I don't have to throw out all the answers to you. The Spirit, ask him to search your heart. But all of us, all of us, myself included, are prone to this handcuff that leads to death, which is our sexual pull. And Solomon says, you want to know what's worse than the worst? It's that. You tangle with that, you're a dead man. And it's how we lose families. It's how we lose positions. It's how you'll get fired. It's how you'll lose your children's respect and even your relationship with them. It's worse than death. And so I'd ask you, who is that individual in your life or that object that you're getting the images from or whatever it is, and how do you get rid of it? God says in 26b, he who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Let's talk about pleasing God. Pharisees thought they were pleasing God because they were following all the rules. You know, in Luke 18, it's the Pharisee and the tax collector, and he says, you know, I tithe, I do all these things. Thank God I'm not like this sinner. He thought he was pleasing God by following rules. That's not what pleasing God is. Disciples love God. They love God, and out of an overflow of that love, they follow him. And by following him, they end up following his commands. That's what it is to please God. Is to, it begins with love, not with rule following. Don't be mistaken. He who pleases God escapes her. You escape that danger of death. And then on the third and final slide, the answer is seek God. The problem is uh, the fleeting, the, the fleeting pleasures of this life. And so I, I, I sum this up by saying pleasures, measures, and treasures. Pleasures would be anything that our flesh craves. That could be anything from food to pills to prostitutes to porn. Uh, that's what pleasures are. Even laziness and idleness, not working. Uh, that's what pleasures are. Treasures is materialism, the ac- a- uh, accumulation of things. Um, our clothing, our cars, our houses, our zip codes. It's, it's just treasures for the sake of buying things. Uh, to hoard and store up here on earth rather than in heaven. And then measures, pleasures, treasures, measures. Measures is me sizing myself up to you. Maybe it's, uh, you know, your position at work or your sales or your salary. It's sizing yourself up by the world standards rather than the holiness of God and where you stand with him measuring yourself against others. And those are the fleeting things. And so verse 27 through 29, and we'll close out. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I have found, but one woman among all these I have not found. He basically says they're very few. I've searched and I've searched, and there's few people that are actually following what God intends. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, 
and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Listen, God's way is not easy. It's hard. It's very hard. Jesus said the Christian life is hard, but it's good. It's very good, and it's peaceful, and it's freeing. The world's way is easy. It's wide, it's smooth, it's easy, but it's bad. It feels good in the moment, but ultimately it's deadly. So verse 29, it says, See, I have found this alone, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. God made us upright. Romans 2 says he has hardwired in us morality. We know right and wrong, and yet we are just bent, our flesh is bent on these pleasures, measures, and treasures to seek after those things rather than to seek after God. We're just pulled toward it daily. And so we have to seek God daily. It's not a once and for all thing when you trusted Christ at nine years old like me. It's this daily seeking of God. Otherwise, you will seek after those things, the pleasures, measures, and treasures. And so you've got to seek God daily. I have to seek God daily. Otherwise, my heart will be drawn to those things and they'll lead to death. And and Solomon says, "I I found one out of a thousand who are doing this. He himself didn't do it. Augustine said, we are restless until we find our rest in him. Francis de Sales said, woe to thee if thou art contented with anything less than God. Acts 17 says, in him we live and move and have our being. So we find alone our peace in God. I, I told you I'd tell you about the third phase of my life and that was at the age of 30 after self-destructing from being a fool and chasing after wickedness, I got on my knees. This Jesus that I wanted to save me from my sins and from hell, I realized I can't just ask you to be my savior. You have both titles, savior and Lord. And so I got on my knees and I said, Jesus, I've squandered everything you've given me, but whatever I have left, it's yours. My relationships, where I live, what I do, my money, my computer, my mind, my body, it's all yours. Be Lord of my life. And I still get on my knees every single day and ask him to be Lord of my day because of that daily pull. And that's the answer Solomon gives. And I'll tell you, my last 10 years of my life, I would trade for the previous 30 of walking with God. And it's not because I've been without sin. It's because I've finally said, all right, God, I want to walk with you. I don't want to walk according to my own wisdom and be a Pharisee. I don't want to walk according to my own wisdom and be a fool. I want to walk with you. I want to stay close to you. And the result has been life and peace and freedom from the woman who leads to death and from the measures, treasures, and pleasures. So gentlemen, uh, go do business in your groups You know, bring stuff into the light and say, this is the woman who would lead me into sin if there was to be one, or there already is one. These are the measures and treasures, and I need Jesus to be Lord of my life because he died not only to forgive you of your sins, he died you to free you from your sins in this life. He loves you and wants you to be free. Let me pray. Lord God, uh, we are yours. We did not come here to be a part of a Bible study. We came here because we want to walk with you. We want to know you more. 
We want to fear you and please you and seek you. And so, Lord, as we break up, I pray we wouldn't talk about the rangers or politics or the mess the world is in, but instead we would talk about our lives and the mess we'll be in if we don't allow you to invade every area. We love you, Lord. Thank you for saving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all have a great morning.